You know, there are certain phrases, and, and I, just, I just heard this one over, the, the lamb has overcome. The lamb has overcome. Isn't that powerful? There are certain phrases that when certain people say them, they just come to life, right? They just jump off the pages of scripture. I had a professor in, in seminary. Uh, he, was, he was an older guy. He was in his 80s. Uh, he was really fiery. He was one of those guys that could say things that only a few people could say. You know, and probably because he was older, he could get away with saying them. Really funny. He looked like Mr. Magoo. Do you guys know who Mr. Magoo is? The, the old guy in the cartoon that's bald that kind of can't see well. Well, anyway, that's what he looked like. And, and, and he, his name was Howard Hendricks. And he was, that was him. It was amazing. He, he taught this course, and it was called Bible Study Methods and Hermeneutics. I don't know who was in charge of titling classes, and trying to get people to get into the class, but who wants to go to a, a class that talks about, and in the title, this is the, a, meth, a, a method, methodology, methodology, it's one of those words, versions of that word method, of, of studying a book, right? a system for how to study I don't know how long it's been since you were in school. That word study, that, I mean, that, that, should, that should still ring a bell. I never liked studying. And now I'm going to learn a method on how to study. Okay. It was terribly titled because this class was unbelievable. Because every day, this man, Howard Hendricks, he would, he would see things that I had never seen before in the scriptures. And he would make connections that I had never made before in the scriptures. He would take these little details that I thought were insignificant and, and, and really kind of dumb. And he would bring them to life. And every class, it, it was amazing. I was utterly compelled every class. Now, I'm just so you know, I'm not the type of person that gets compelled very easily. In fact, I'm a terrible reactor. My wife is a great reactor, and she always, when she tells a story, she wants me to react well, and I have to work really hard on reacting. I'm just a bad reactor, okay? I just don't get compelled very easily, and I was compelled. Hey, are, are you, how many people in here are one of those people that claps at the end of a movie when it was great? Come on, raise your hand. Be proud. Be proud. Okay, okay. I just want you to know I'm an avid member of, of PASM. It's people against clapping at the end of movies. Because I think that you clap, you applaud when you've been compelled and you want to show your appreciation to the people that you're appreciating. I don't know if you're aware, the director's not there, the actors are not there. I'm just kidding. Clap all you want at the end of movies, but I, I'm not a movie clapper. But nonetheless, it was like I was watching a movie and at the end I was just utterly compelled. So I had to stand to my feet, not applaud because that would have been really weird, but walk up to the man and say, thank you so much. This class changed my life. And that was every class. Every single time I went to Bible study methods and hermeneutics, I had to, I was compelled to go and tell him thank you because he had impacted my life so deeply because of the way that he saw scripture, because of the way that he brought it to life. It was living, it was active, it was real. And it mattered. I bet you have some sort of pastor or someone that you podcast. Maybe you have a friend uh, that, 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 that loves the Bible. And when they explain it, you feel that. And you think, what book are they reading? 
Because the one that I read, I tried to read it in a year and I got to Exodus and I trudged through the very end when it's got some of the rules, regulations, and rituals. And then I got to Leviticus and it's worse. <laughs> so I skipped, you know, to the New Testament because that's the easy part. And Matthew starts off with a genealogy. And so I put it down and I never read it again because I don't, I don't get it. What, what book are you reading well, I mean, are there, are there study notes in there that are, that are very, really compelling in there? Because it, 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 so often, it, it, it's not alive to me. So often, it's boring. I, I, I don't jump out of bed, uh, turn off my alarm, and, 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 and scream, Yay! I get to read the Bible at 5 a.m. Woo! But it seems like there are certain people that that is the case for. It seems like, it feels like, it appears as if there are people that leap out of bed saying, oh, I get to read the Bible today. And, and you just kind of want to punch those people, right? Because <laughs> it's, it's not the way it is. I mean, you ever feel that way? I mean, not, I mean, you know, in a Christian loving, punching way. Um, so they can have the opportunity to turn the other cheek, right? Right? That's what, that's what we're saying. But when I think about, we, we've been in the book of Acts, right? In the book of Acts, you begin to see two groups emerge. They're the Jewish people that, that tend to be against the movement of Christianity. And then you have the disciples who, who used to be Jewish people. Well, I guess they were still Jewish people, but then they were believing in Jesus and the Messiah. So you've got Christianity and then these Jews that are kind of against Christianity. And, and, and these, these Jewish people, in the way that they act, and the way that they talk, and the way that they react, it, it, it seems like they're just consumed when they read this with the rules and regulations and the rituals, the purity laws, the Sabbath laws, the food laws, the worship laws. It's like they read this book and they think that's what life is. My life is rules and rituals and regulations. It's what makes me Jewish. Right? It's the things that make me look Jewish like circumcision, all these kind of things. And they're so concerned by these details. And then there's this other group of people that begin to be compelled by the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. And they get excited. We've been following the journeys of Paul. He's, uh, he's gone on, he's on his second missionary journey. Uh, his first one went to the area of Galatia. And, and, and there's a, a certain pattern that emerged. He would go to a city, a new city, go to a Jewish synagogue, because these people were, were familiar with the story. And he was taking the, the Old Testament, which was the Hebrew scriptures. And he would talk to them about the Messiah, about Jesus being the fulfillment of the prophecies for the Messiah. And so what would happen is he'd teach and all of a sudden they'd think, oh, this is kind of exciting. Yeah, let's, I don't know, maybe. And then all the Gentiles would start believing and Paul would say, you don't have to become Jewish first in order to receive the benefits of the Jewish Messiah and to, in order to believe in him. And then the Jewish people would get really jealous and they would kick him out of the city or they would stone him or they'd have him beaten or all kind of crazy stuff. And this was Paul's pattern. I don't know if Paul needed to kind of rethink his, his ministry strategy, uh, but, but it didn't seem to go real well. So much so that Paul said, let me go on another missionary journey, right? Because apparently there was something else going on in Paul's mind. Apparently he saw something else. He was compelled by something else. So he goes on a second missionary journey and he encourages all the churches in Galatia. And then he moves into Macedonia. 
which is a big deal because now you're entering, entering into legit Roman territory. Now, Rome ruled the whole known world at the time, and their influence was great, but their influence was even greater in Macedonia. The closer you got to Rome, the greater the Roman influence, and Jewish influence was less and less. And so there were less and less people that had a background for the scriptures that Paul was going to talk about. And these were the people he would always start with. Now, last week, he was in Thessalonica. If you were here with us last week, he was in Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, things didn't go so well. He went to a synagogue, and for three straight Sabbaths, which were Saturdays, three straight Saturdays in a row, he reasoned with them, proving taking the Old Testament scriptures, jumping into Genesis and Psalms and Isaiah 53, proving that the Messiah actually had to suffer and die and rise again. Now, this was a big deal because these Jewish people, they, they were, they, it seemed like, so consumed by the rules, regulations, and rituals that, that this is what it was about, so consumed by what they saw in here that they couldn't see that there was evidence in Scripture talking about how the Messiah actually did have to suffer because they were in, they were in a rough spot. I mean, Rome was oppressing them. They wanted freedom. And there are many uh, scriptures talking about how the Messiah is going to come and he's going he's to rule, he's going to reign, he's going to be king. And they liked those because that affected them because then they could rule and reign with the king. Okay, this was a good thing for them. But when it talked about the suffering Messiah, They just passed over those. And so Paul proved, no, no, Jesus is the Messiah. Even though he died on a cross, he had to. It was prophesied, but they didn't like that. And so they raised up uh, the men of the rabble. They just raised up men to to kick Paul out of the city. Okay, it didn't go so well. Grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, you can snatch up one of the beautiful blues. We're going to be Acts chapter 17, verse 10, page 602. Uh, If you have a smart device, Acts 17, verse 10. I'm in Luke. It's close, it's close. Written by the same person. So. So as things begin to go awry, it says the brothers... Immediately, this is the believers, the, the men and women believers, they, they immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Now, two things jump out to me right there. Okay, the first thing is they sent them away by night. It sounds a little bit like Paul's afraid of a fight. Right? It sounds like they're sneaking away because they're scared of the Jewish people that, that don't like them and what they could do to them. Well, if you've been in Acts long enough with us, you know that that's not the case. Uh, Paul was unafraid. Uh, He had been uh, beaten. He had been whipped. He had been uh, imprisoned. He had been stoned. And he continued to go to cities and preach the gospel. This was not because Paul was afraid. But what we see is that Paul was willing for any part of his life to be useful for the gospel. And so I imagine what what he's thinking is, hey, we've preached the gospel There are believers now in the city, and if we leave, maybe the trouble will subside and the church can begin to flourish and grow. Okay, so so they leave and then they head to Berea. Now, I know you're all thinking, Berea, really? Who would go there? 
Because, I mean, obviously, they've been on the Ignatian Way since they started in, in, uh, in, in Macedonia, right? And that's the dotted line you see right there. That, that, that is the, the Roman road, the Roman highway. This was a well-traveled road. It was the safest road, and it led to Rome, okay? This is the way that you would go if you were going to Rome. And if you were trying to spread something throughout the Roman Empire, Rome would be a good place to get to because it was a hub for so many different things, okay? Paul, in fact, wanted to go there. We find in his letter to the Romans, he says, many times I've tried to come to you but have been prevented thus far. And I would imagine this is probably one of those times. Okay, they're headed on the Ignatian Way, Philippi, Thessalonica, and then they cut down south 50 miles to Berea. Seems kind of strange, but as we've watched Paul and we've walked with him through the journey, uh, his missionary journeys in Acts, we realize that sometimes the Spirit leads in unique ways. Sometimes the Spirit leads in ways that you don't think. And so they're following the leading of the Spirit. The brothers, of Berea, the brothers in Thessalonica said, Berea is the place to go. I imagine they prayed about it and they went to Berea. Now, this is a 50-mile journey. That's three days walking and I'm sure we have a lot of athletic people here, but 50 miles, that's a long way, right? I mean, maybe bike it. I could, I could probably watch someone bike it. <laughs> but, but there's no way I'm walking 50 miles. This is how passionate Paul was about spreading the gospel, okay? Three days journey, they head to Berea, and I would think, I would think if I were Paul, it's time to rethink my missionary strategy. Time to lay low for a bit. Make, make, you know, gather up our strength and, and just kind of see what happens. Let's see if that's what Paul did. To Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Bring it on, Paul said. I'm here. My life is about the gospel. I'm not wasting any time. As soon as they got to Berea, they went to the synagogue and they began preaching the gospel. Now, these Jews, the ones in Berea, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. That's interesting. We begin to have a contrast. Scripture paints this beautiful contrast. There's the, the ones in Thessalonica where Paul, for three weeks straight, reasoned with them, proving, in fact, with their scriptures that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. He had to suffer and raise. But they threw him out. And, and very few Jews believed, but a lot of Gentiles believed. But it says the ones in Berea were more noble. Why were they more noble? What was it about them that, that, that Scripture highlights to demonstrate their nobility? It says they received the word with all eagerness. Isn't that a great word? Eagerness. What do you think about when you hear eagerness? I think about my really big, manly, 10-pound Yorkie poo. Because she is eager for everything, okay? Whenever it's, whenever it's time to get her a T-R-E-A-T, I have to spell it because she, she knows what the word is, she goes nuts and she won't leave me alone until I've gotten it out of the bag. And it takes me like 30 seconds and she's flipping out. She's jumping up on me. She's barking. She's scratching me. I've trained her to do that. She's very obedient. I also think about when I was a child. You children are eager, aren't they? Adults, we're apathetic and, and you know, cynical, right? But kids, they're so eager and excited for Christmas. 
the elf on the shelf. He's not on the shelf today. What mischief has he gotten into? And Santa Claus is coming to town. My dad used to travel for a living. And when I was a kid, as soon as he would begin walking down the path, which was about 50 yards from our house, I would sprint as fast as I could and jump into his arms because I was so excited to see him. He'd been gone for so long. And we liked to wrestle and, and have fun. And he, he was so great. I think about a child when I think about eagerness. And the Bereans were more noble. What were they doing with eagerness? Receiving the word. When is the last time you hit the, you hit the alarm button and jumped up with eagerness to read the word? They were they received what Paul was saying with such eagerness. They were sitting on the front row, like all these godly young people are sitting on the front row, on the edge of their seat, wanting to know what he was going to say next. Well, tell us more about the Messiah. What, what else did Jesus do? How else? And, and, and he rose from there. Tell us about that. Who saw him first? Oh, the women saw him first. Yeah, Mary. Yeah, Mary. She saw him first. And then did Peter and John? Yeah. And they had a race on the way to the tomb? Tell us about that. What was going on? They wanted to know more. They were so eager to know the God that Scripture talked about. They received the word with all eagerness. And it goes on and they says, uh, finding my place. There we go. Examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things are so. Okay, first of all, they don't know Paul from Adam, okay? This random Jewish guy comes into town and starts preaching this stuff that they'd never heard before. Should you trust everyone that's on a stage with a microphone? Everyone besides myself? No! Don't, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't trust me that much, not more than Scripture. This is the revealed truth of God that should have authority over our lives. And, and I've been wrong before. There was that one time when I thought I was wrong. I was actually right. So I was wrong that I, when I was thought, thinking I was wrong. So I could be wrong, right? It's possible. It's in the, I know it's hard. Put on your imagining cap. Yeah, I'm wrong all the time. Ask my wife. You should examine the scriptures to make sure what the people on this stage are saying that it's true. Just because a preacher's on TV and it sounds good, and it feels good, doesn't mean that it's true. Paul commends the Bereans because they were eager, and they examined the scriptures daily. They were skeptical of Paul. He commends them because they were skeptical of him, because they held up the word of God over a human. This was a good thing. This was a big deal. With eagerness, they were being diligent in the scriptures. What was the result of this? Well, it hadn't gone well before, okay? The Thessalonians, uh, you know, Philippi, uh, Iconium, Lystra, it didn't go well. How did it go here? Many of them therefore believed. Many of the Jewish people therefore believed. This is a big deal because in all the other cities, few Jewish people believed. Here, many of them believed because they were excited to know 
the God of the scriptures. Many of them therefore believed. With not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So a bunch of people believed. This was the result of their diligence and their eagerness. It says, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. How much do you have to hate the spread of the gospel to walk 50 miles? I'm going to say a lot. On a scale of 1 to 10, I would say 10. Some people would say 11, but I'd say that's not on the scale. Okay? You've got to hate it a ton. This is, how, this is how much they were into the rituals and rules and regulations and Sabbath laws and purity laws. This is how much they cared about circumcision. This is how much they cared about preserving these things of the Jewish religion, which they thought were life in the scriptures. So they came and they stirred up the crowds. I think about uh, the movie Beauty and the Beast, the classic animated feature. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, spoiler alert, um, there's a beast and there's a beauty and, and she leaves the castle uh, to go help her father and then Gaston, the giant, strong, good-looking man, um, I know, you're trying to picture me, it's not, it's really strong, really good-looking, Gaston, he, he's trying to imprison her father and she shows him the magic mirror and says, no, no look, I can prove the beast is real. I don't know why he, he thought the magic mirror was real, but he did. And so then what he does is he stirs up everyone in the town to go and fight against the beast. They don't really care about the beast, but he stirs them up. He gets them agitated, and they go together as a crowd to attack the beast. This is kind of how I see this going on. These Jews from Thessalonica go and stir people up. They start telling them stuff about Paul and about Silas and Timothy to make them angry. And they agitate the crowds. It says, Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Apparently, Silas and Timothy weren't quite as offensive as Paul. Okay? Paul, Paul was pretty bold in the way that he spoke. He was unafraid. He was unashamed. But it was a good thing that, he was, uh, that, that Silas and Timothy could stay behind and continue to build up the church in Berea. They could continue to raise up leaders. They could continue to teach them the gospel and explain to them about the Messiah through the scriptures. But they sent Paul off. Uh, it says, uh, those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So you've got this new situation, this new town where Paul goes, he's preaching the gospel and because these people are so eager to know God, they search the scriptures and many of them believe. But the people from the other town come, stir up this town and they send Paul away so that Paul can preach the gospel in, in other areas. You just have this gigantic contrast between the Jews in Thessalonica and the Jews in Berea. And it reminds me of a passage uh, in John. Uh, John, if you would like to turn there, John uh, 5, verse 39. It's page uh, 579. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus is talking to some Pharisees. 
And the Pharisees were the epitome of Jewish people that were all about memorizing the law. All about living out every little thing that was in the first five books of the Old Testament, which would have been their Hebrew scriptures. They would call it the Torah. They were all about it. They were passionate about it. They, they, they read and they studied and they memorized and they implemented and they made everyone else implement. And Jesus is talking to this group of people. And when, I, when I did this, I wasn't talking about you. And he says, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. He said, you think that this is the point, that this is an end in itself. But it's not. He says, this is a means. He says, you think, you search scriptures, but you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. He said, it's about me. It's not about a book and rules and regulations. It's about a God who's been pursuing you ever since you rebelled in the beginning and loved you so much that he gave his son to suffer and die for you. It's about me. It's about Jesus. It's about a person, the God of the universe. But the Jews had become so consumed with the rules and regulations and laws and looking Jewish and acting Jewish and doing this right and doing this right that they missed the God of the universe that they could experience in the scriptures. It's the Thessalonican Jews versus the Berean Jews. The Thessalonican Jews, for some reason or another, only wanted to see the triumphal Messiah. But the Berean Jews just wanted to see the Messiah. They didn't want to read into it what they had already uh, had in their minds, their preconceived notions. They just wanted to know the God of the universe. Who are you? I want to know you. And so they searched diligently with great eagerness to find out who this great God of love was. And many of them therefore believed. Yesterday was Valentine's Day. In case you didn't know, you might want to run out the doors right now and make a phone call. Um, and and I, I, I haven't always been a great husband. Shocker. And uh, <laughs> my first Valentine's Day with my wife, uh, my wife, she is phenomenal. She, she is so great at celebrating people. She's so thoughtful. And for our first Valentine's Day, she sent to the office ahead of me eight different Valentine's Day cards. And they weren't just a card that you open up and it's just got the, the, the printed writing on there, some, some limerick or poem of some sort. Uh, they were, they, were, they were filled, both sides of the card, with her writing. Eight different cards, one for every hour of the day. She had a couple of other surprises as well. And um, I, <laughs> wives, if your husband didn't do great at Valentine's Day, you're about to think differently about them. And husbands, you're welcome. I, one, didn't even get her anything for Valentine's Day. I, two, didn't say thank you at all or call her for the cards. I, three, I know, it gets worse. I, three, I, three, didn't even read all the cards. Yeah, see, see, even the young single guys know that you don't do that. 
You're probably cringing right now. I'm cringing remembering it. Um, and I went home and, and really things got worse. And I, won't, I won't get into all that, but because <laughs> I have another message. You can go podcast it, podcast it. Um, but it was rough for my wife. I feel sorry for my wife having to deal with me, especially on that day, because I was thoughtless and all kind of other things. But here's what I've realized, is that I completely missed out on her. She had poured her heart and her soul and her life into the pages of these cards recounting our history together, telling me why she loved me, why she cared about me. And when I read those cards later, I began to see her, I began to experience her in a different way. And I think so often we miss out on scripture because we think of it as a bunch of lists of rules and regulations and we don't look at it as a love letter from a loving father who's pursued after us our entire life, desiring to know us intimately. A loving father who loves us so much that he gave his only son to live the life that we couldn't live, to take our sin upon himself, to die for our sin, to raise to new life so that we in him might have an intimate relationship with God. That's what this story is. It's about the God of the universe who loves us. Not the God of the universe who's mad at us and wants to zap us with lightning. Not the God of the universe who wants to point out all of our mistakes, but the God of the universe whose love is everlasting and his faithfulness is to all generations. That every aspect of God is love. Even God's wrath in love he poured out upon himself rather than us. And what happens when we don't get into scripture is we miss out on God because it all points to him. It's all about him This is why Paul could say to live is Christ because I can experience him in my intimate relationship in the scriptures, in my prayer life, and to die is gain because I get to experience him fully and completely. Not in a mirror dimly anymore, but face to face. Not in part anymore, but fully. We have been given the greatest gift, the revelation of God that points us to him, that draws us into deeper intimacy with him which allows us to know him more deeply. And so often we miss out because we're apathetic, because we're afraid, because it hasn't gone well in the past, or because it's just an intellectual exercise. We're just memorizing random things, trying to get fuel for our debates I'm gonna take a, uh, a, a few minutes and together as a community, I want us to walk through what does it look like to engage in the scriptures in such a way that we will be like the noble Bereans with eagerness and diligence. How can we begin to see the things that so many people see, that, that, that the great preachers see? that the great men, and the women, uh, great men and women of the faith see. How can we begin to do this? I'm gonna take a moment, I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna jump into this, okay? Heavenly Father, we need you. God, please open our eyes to behold beautiful things from your word. 
Lord, I pray that we would faithfully study your scriptures so that we might find you, so that we might experience you. God, we need you. Help us. And we ask these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Here's the thing. Howard Hendricks, my professor uh, in seminary, he, he, he said, what I want to do is I'm going to teach you a few things. There are a few ways to study Scripture, and I think it's good to use them all uh, together. The first way is an inductive study of the Bible. The second way is checking out the historical context. And the third way we're going to look at is a thing called Lectio Divina, which is uh, it's a Latin word that means divine reading. Uh, it's a great way to actually experience God as you read Scripture. And the first thing is an inductive study. And in an, induct, in, in an inductive study, you have three stages. You've got observation, interpretation, and application. You always should start with observation, and you should always, always, always end in application. So many of us just want to start with interpretation and end in interpretation. We don't want it to get too much into our lives, and don't want to have to spend too much time thinking through stuff. You guys know Sherlock Holmes? I mean, not personally, but... Uh, Okay, the, the great uh, detective uh, written in the pages uh, by whoever wrote the books, okay? But the great thing about Sherlock Holmes is he saw, he observed, he could see so many things. And in seeing those things, it had such a huge impact. So, so let's, let's take a verse of scripture and let's observe for a second. Uh, we're going to take Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 says, but... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all, and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. One verse, okay, day one of uh, Bible study methods and hermeneutics, uh, Howard Hendricks said, I want you to go home and make 50 observations and write them down for this verse. And how quick you are at counting, but there aren't 50 words in that verse. And we were supposed to make 50 observations, and at first it was really hard, but as he began to teach us and began to show us and began to demonstrate, it became alive. The first thing I see is the word but there. The word but is a conjunction. You guys, okay, back to sixth grade English, okay, you're going to be all right? But, it's a conjunction, and it's a conjunction that does a comparison that contrasts two things. So immediately we know, well, we need more information. We need context, Context is king, okay? Context is so important. So if we look at the verse in the context, we say, well, we already know a lot about the context because we've been in the book of Acts for two years now or three years, however long it's been, okay? Acts is the story of the journey of the church of God and its expansion. And so Jesus has already walked with his disciples for three years. He, he died and then he rose from the grave and for 40 days he hung out with them explaining all the scriptures to them. That would have been a great time to be around. That would have been so cool, okay? So now he takes his disciples to a mountain and they ask him a question. In verse seven, they say, uh, Lord, is it at this time you're gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, you don't need to worry about times and seasons that the Father's fixed by his own authority. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't concern yourself with that. That's not what your life is about, okay? I know you wanna know this, but that's not important. But... This is. This is what you should think about. This is what you should dwell on. This is what is important for your life. And so now we're about to embark on Jesus telling us what we should think about, what our life should be about. 
And just to get a little bit more context in verse 9, it says that after he said these words, Jesus rose into heaven right before their eyes. These were the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Probably pretty important words, okay? If you, if you only had five minutes to live, whatever you said would probably be very important and thought through, okay? So Jesus says this. This is what you should think about. This is what you should be concerned about. The next thing I see is the word you, which you should also see as well. The word you happens three different times, which makes me think, I need to start asking questions like, who's involved? Who's the author? Who wrote this? Well, it was Luke. Luke also wrote the book of Luke. This is a two-part series, okay? The book of Acts. He wrote it to a guy named Theophilus. He was writing to Greek speakers, okay? Now, Luke wrote it, but someone else is speaking here. Who, who is speaking? Jesus. It's the, it's the right answer in, in all of church, okay? Jesus is speaking here, which is important. Who's he speaking to? The disciples, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Jesus is speaking to his disciples. The you is the disciples, his apostles. And he says, but you will receive. Isn't that a beautiful verb? will receive. What all can we get from this verb? Well, we, we can know, is this past, present, or future? Rhymes with future. Yeah, the will gives it away. Yeah, future, it's future. So it's not now, and it's not a time ago. It's you're going to receive something later than this moment right now. And is it passive or active? It's, it's passive. Now, the importance of that is Okay, we're going to receive power. Am I doing something for this power? Is this my power? No, it's passive. It's going to happen to me. The power is going to come upon me. I will receive it. I will get it. And it's certain. So in the future, it's definite that this power is going to come upon them. How, how cool is that? Okay, we'll receive power and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. What, 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 what does that mean, witnesses? When you, when you think about it, it's someone who sees something or, or someone who's uh, in a legal situation where they're testifying to something. Uh, there are a couple parallel passages that really bring this to light. Matthew 28 uh, talks about it. Uh, Jesus, in the same uh, setting, says, go and make what of all nations? Disciples. So disciple makers and witnesses correlate in some way, shape, or form. And then in Corinthians, Paul talks about us being Christ's ambassadors. Okay, so disciple makers, ambassadors, witnesses. This is our God-redeemed, God-restored purpose. This is why each one of us are still alive, why our heart is still beating, why we're still taking breaths, because we are called to make disciples, to represent Jesus, to tell all that we have witnessed, to tell all that we have experienced of Jesus and then you see a, a, a progression in Jerusalem, in Judea, and all of Samaria, and even the remotest parts of the earth. You got a list there. Oh, you got a list of things. Lists are so important. Jerusalem is a, uh, is Jerusalem a state? Is Jerusalem a country? What is it? It's a city, okay? So you start with a city, and then Judea and Samaria, these are more like countries. These are, these are regions. Judea and Samaria, actually together, they made up of what, what Israel used to be together when they were unified. So you've got a city, then you've got a country, and then the end of the earth. So it starts from small, 
and it gets bigger. And where were they at the time? It rhymes with Jerusalem. Anyone? Jerusalem. Yes, that's exactly right. They were in Jerusalem. They were supposed to start here and then Judea and then Samaria and then remotest parts of the earth. How many people think if you want to be a missionary, you got to go to Africa? you got to wake up and, and talk to anyone. We're all missionaries. And we're supposed to make disciples as we are ambassadors for Jesus, as we are, 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 are someone of a country in another country representing our country to them. That's what we are. This is our purpose. What an amazing passage of Scripture. The, the, the record, I think, was 512 observations from this one verse there's so much in Scripture. It's so rich. It's so powerful. There's so much you can take from it. But it's important that we, we, we get a, a good context. And historical context is very helpful. It's something that we on the teaching team uh, really try and get. Is, is, is when was this going on? Where was it going on? And what were the factors? Were there some political factors going on? Were there, uh, what kind of motivations? Were people being persecuted at this time? Who was ruling at this time? These would be very helpful. Now, it can take a lot of research to get good historical data, but... The ESV study Bible has great historical notes. So if you don't have a good uh, study Bible and you would like to do this, we want to encourage you to get the ESV study Bible. It has great introductions to the, to, to the books. So if, if you're reading a, a book of the Bible, if you're reading in Acts, you should read the introduction first. It'll give you a lot of great historical content. Read the introduction to each chapter. And then there's study notes at the bottom about the different verses. It'll tell you cool things like Berea was 50 miles away from Thessalonica. Right? Great things like that. Uh, really neat tidbits. It'll have those kind of things. And so you can gather this stuff on your own very easily. And when you put things in context, you don't take them out of context and begin to uh, think uh, heresy, which is good. You want to you stay away from that. Now, if you just do all of this, it can easily become an intellectual exercise. It can easy be easy to just be about your mind, filling up your mind and knowing a bunch of stuff and memorizing a bunch of stuff. And I've got more verses memorized than you. And, and I know more about this than you. And I can argue this better than you. And, and, and that's not what we want to do. It was easy for the Pharisees for it to become that, okay? For it not to be about the God of the Bible. But that's what it's about. It's, it, it's not about this. It's about that this points to him. That's what it's about. So what we want to do is we want to begin experiencing God in the scriptures. So there's this thing called Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina, just, it's Latin for divine reading or, or sacred reading or holy reading. And it's a way that you can experience the scriptures as you're reading them. There, there are four steps to this. The first one is reading. And in this, you just want to thoughtfully read over it again and again and again and again, four or five times, slowly, perhaps out loud. Sometimes it's helpful to read things out loud because the way that, you know, your tongue and soft palate work, it helps for you to remember. It brings things to mind. So read through it thoughtfully. The second one is meditation. Meditation, what you're doing is you're chewing on it. You're thinking about it. You're beginning to work through it. You're beginning to ask some questions why did it say this? Why didn't it say this? 
Why? What does that mean? How does this work for my life? Okay, you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even the most parts of the earth. What does that mean for me? Does, does that work into my life? Does that translate? Do I need to go to Jerusalem and then Judea? Do, is, is that what it means? You need to, begin, need to begin to meditate on it. And then the third stage is, is prayer. And the point is relationship with God. So begin praying through it. God, reveal this to me. God, what, 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 did, what, did, you, what did you mean here? Lord, I'm wrestling with, with this question. I, I see I'm supposed to go be an ambassador for you, but I, I don't want to. It's hard. It's scary. I, I'm afraid. Help me. God, I'm afraid to get into your scriptures. Lord, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I've never done this before. Help me. It's a conversation with God. And the last stage is silence to just allow the word to wash over you. Just allow God to speak to you through the word that you've just studied intently so that you can experience God in it. And this will take a while. It can take 15 minutes, it can take 30 minutes, it can take an hour, but it's so worth it. So we're gonna take a few minutes now and we're gonna experience Acts 1-8 in this way. So start by reading it. Uh, we'll have the scripture up there for you. Just, just read it three or four times silently and read it thoughtfully. What are the words that jump out to you? Let's take a minute to meditate on it. What were the things that jumped out? What were the things that were compelling? How does it work in your life? What does that mean to be a witness? What does that mean to be an ambassador? What does that look look like in my life today when I'm at home with my family, when I'm at work, when I'm at the gas station, when I'm at the grocery store? What does it look like to be a witness for Christ? This is my redeemed purpose Think about that. Chew on that. Allow God to bring things to your mind. And realize we're going through this very quickly. Why don't you take a second and pray through it? The things that God brought to your mind, perhaps the ways that you could implement this, things that you're wrestling with, things that you're struggling with. Jacob wrestled with God. A lot of times prayer is a wrestle with God. Pray through it. Ask God to help you implement it into your life.
And now as, as the band comes out here and starts to set up, just take a moment to be quiet. Ask God to quiet your mind and still your heart and just allow the word to wash over you. The things that, that, that he brought to your mind, the things that jumped out, uh, the ways that you can begin implementing. And then when the band begins to sing, I want to invite you to, to sing along with us. But take some time to be silent and allow the Holy Spirit to sink the words of God into your heart.